All right, so let's let's start reading now again in in chapter 46 of the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 46, and we'll just start reading right at the beginning to get the context. Verse 1, Genesis 46, verse 1. So Israel sent out, set out with all that he, so Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. God spoke to Israel in a vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, here I am. And he said, I am the God, the God of your father. I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will surely bring you up again. And Joseph will close your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and his sons, then the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry them. They took their livestock, their property, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and came to Egypt. Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters and his granddaughters, and all the descendants he brought with him to Egypt. So we covered a lot of this portion last time. But what's interesting about this is that is that uh, uh, he says, I'm going to go with you. He says, do not be afraid. I'm going to make you a great nation there. And we saw how, how they became a great number of people. And then he says, oh, I'm going to go down with you to Egypt and I will surely bring you up again. So he tells them all the great things that are going to happen to them in Egypt. He does not tell them, what's interesting, he does not tell them anything about the suffering that they're about to go through. And, and uh, that was revealed in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. It was revealed to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, it says, God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in, in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. And remember, that 400 years is going to begin actually with, with uh, um, Isaac's, Isaac's uh, weaning party, which was at the age of five. And so that's where the 400 years began. And, uh, uh, but all he knows is that, that God mentions that, that things are going to go, you know, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to bless you. The Lord is very much like that. Very often he doesn't tell us all the, the trials that are going to come upon our lives. And for good reason. Uh, uh, it'd be miserable to, to, to know about all that in advance. He doesn't let us know that. And uh, uh, he just lets us know what's going on. And, and uh, he says, I'm going to bless you and I'll be with you. He doesn't give us the details. And it would be like, well, God, why didn't you tell me if I moved here, this, this, this? He doesn't tell us. He didn't tell, he didn't tell uh, uh, Jacob all the things that were going to happen to his family in Egypt. But then it goes on further on down in, the, in, in what we just read. It says that he came down with his grandsons, with his granddaughters and his and his daughters and his granddaughters. So there were many daughters with them that were not yet mentioned. Now we'll pick it up in the genealogy. We just looked over the chart of the genealogy, but let's read that now in verse 8. Now these are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and his sons who went to Egypt. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, the sons of Reuben, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi, the sons of Simeon, Jamuel, and Jamin, and Ohad, and Jachin, and Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman, the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the sons of Judah, Er and Onan, and Shelah, and Perez and Zerah, but Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. 
And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamuel, Hamul. The sons of Issachar, Tola and Puva and Ayab and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun, Sered and Elon and Jalil. The sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Padan Aram. With his daughter Dinah, all his sons and his daughters numbered 33. Uh, so, so it says in verse 15, these are the sons of Leah. So, so it, it's after they name all the, all the people, then they say who the mother was. These are the sons of Leah. It didn't say these are the sons of Leah before, only after. And as it goes through, we'll just pick out a few salient points here. Now, number one, some of the names, the, the, the names are transcribed and, and, and a little bit different spelling as it's reported in the book of Chronicles. And this is common, that as, as the language would morph, they would spell the names differently. And so you'll see in the English spellings as we are reading, there will be differences in spelling. And sometimes people, the same person, was, were called different names. I'll, I'll give you an example from my own life. My name is James. When I was born, um, uh, when I was a, a little boy, my, my, my parents would call me Jim Boy. As I got older, it was Jimmy. And, and uh, even on my social security card, it's listed Jimmy because I remember when I went, I was 12 years old filling out a, for a social security card uh, so that I could, I could get a job. And I told my mother who was there with me, should I put James or Jimmy? Everybody calls me Jimmy. She said, oh, just put Jimmy. So that's what's on my social security card. And then as I got older, and then I had a friend in college, a good friend who'd only call me Jimmer. And then as I got older, now people call me Jim. And then formerly they call me James. So I've had these morphing names. And, uh, um, and this happens in life today. We see the same sort of thing. So depending on where you're recording a person's life, what are they called at that time? And what's interesting, I want to just point out a couple of things here. It's interesting that Simeon, as it's listing the children of Simeon, it says that, that he had these, these sons. So verse 10, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, and Jamin, and Ohad, and Jachin, and Zohar. And Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. So Shaul was, was from a different wife, but it's interesting that she was a Canaanite woman. She was a Canaanite woman. This is the same, this is the, the, the same, uh, um, uh, this, the same Simeon who went and killed an entire tribe there because uh, a Canaanite uh, slept with his sister and wanted to marry her. You see the hypocrisy in this. Here this guy goes ahead and marries a Canaanite woman himself. When Canaanites made a pass at, at, at his sister, and wanted to marry his sister, he went and he killed their entire tribe there in Shechem. And so it says in, in the book of Romans, chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same thing. You who judge, practice the same thing. It's interesting that that uh, uh, he was the one who was... Who was uh, uh, Judging and saying we can't we can't be hooked up with the Canaanites and he was right in that but but he never should have killed an entire tribe of people because of that an entire gathering of people in, in in Shechem then he himself goes out and marries a Canaanite woman so you see this hypocrisy and that's why Jesus says that that take the log out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of another it's just pure hypocrisy here 
and, and so then we go on down and Dinah is listed in verse 15 because she was very prominent in chapter 34 in, in that whole incident with Shechem. And then it goes down in verse 16, the sons of Gad, it says in verse 16, the sons of Gad, Ziphion uh, uh, and Haggai and Shuni and Esbon, Eri, Erodi and Ereli, the sons of Asher, Imna and Ishva and Ishvi and Berea and their sister Sarah and the sons of Berea, Heber and Michal. Now, look at that, that their sister, Sarah. We don't know why he listed that sister in particular. We understand Dinah, but why that sister and why she was numbered among them, we don't know. We just don't know what her prominence was. Uh, in verse 18, there were son, these are the sons of Zilpah whom Laban had, uh, whom Laban gave to his daughter Leah, and she bore to Jacob these 16 persons. So these are the sons of Zilpah. So again, after it lists the sons, then it lists the wife. Now we're going to see a turn in this. You see a turn here. When it comes to Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife, it introduces her before and after. And so in verse 19, the sons of Jacob's wife, Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. Now to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. So you see, the wives were not always always of the children of Israel. The, the, the lineage always came through the father. In Israel, it always came through the father. You will hear today that, that uh, uh, Jewishness comes through the mother. That is a much newer construct because there was a period of time I don't, I don't know what year it was, if it was around 1000 AD, something, something uh, 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 in that time period that the, the Jewish women were being raped and they, could, they never knew who the father was. So the rabbis declared, we're just going to call Jewishness through the mother because the mother we can identify. But historically in the scriptures, it was always through the father that Jewishness was named, that the Hebrew tribe was named through the father and not through the mother. So scripturally, it's always been through the father. In the New Testament, it actually says it can be through the mother or the father because Paul says to Timothy, your, your, your mother is a Jew, your father is a Greek, you need to be circumcised. So, so even though it was his, his mother was, was the Jew, this, this was before the rabbis ever made a declaration Paul recognized that you are Jewish just because of your mother, regardless of your father not being a Jew. So it was actually the New Testament that first said that it can be through the father or the mother. And then it was later on that rabbis said it's through the mother. So I've said to Jewish friends, yeah, you say it's through the mother. In fact, the New Testament was the first, the, the first uh, place where it was deemed that Jewishness could be through the mother. And that was Paul who said that, and they're a bit miffed with that. They're a bit uh, confused. And then I show them that Paul was the first who said this, long before the rabbis ever said it. But in the Old Testament, it was always through the Father. And so that Asenath is not named among, she's not numbered among them. She already lived in Egypt. And even though these two sons were born in Egypt, they're named as coming into Egypt with, with uh, uh, Jacob, uh, the sons of Joseph. And then it talks about Benjamin. He had lots of children. Some people think it had to be multiple wives because of his age to have that many uh, children. But in any case, we're not sure about that. 
Then in verse 22, it says, these are the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob. There, there were 14 persons in all. So you see Rachel is named before and after. And now we switch again. It's only going to be named after for Rachel's handmaid. The sons, Dan, the sons of Dan, Hushim, the sons of Naphtali, Jaziel, and Guni, and Jezer, and Shilam. These are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to his daughter Rachel, and she bore these to Jacob. There were seven persons in all. And so you see, only afterwards is, is Bilhah named. And then in verse 26, all these persons belonged to Jacob, who came to Egypt. The direct descendants, not including the wives of, of, of Jacob's sons, were 66 persons in all. So 66. Now he's going to change to 70. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. The persons of the house of Jacob, who came to Egypt, were 70. So it says 66, but now he, now he says, and if we add in uh, Jacob, Joseph, and Joseph's two sons, that adds four. So that's where the 70 comes from. If you look in the New Testament, if you look in the, in the New Testament, in, in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, actually Acts chapter 7, verse 14, when, when uh, Stephen is about to be, be martyred, uh, he is giving a defense and he says there were 75, not 70. Well, it turns out that the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the, of the Old Testament, names 75 people. And, and uh, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it's named 75 people. Here in the Masoretic text, our Old Testament is taken from the Masoretic text, text, says 70 people. And it depends on how you count. So even in this chapter itself, it says in verse, in, in verse, uh, um, it, it says that, that there were, were, uh, 66 persons in verse 26. In verse 27, it says that there were 70 persons. And so it depends on which ones you include. The 75 can come from the offspring of a few of these sons that were already there as it's named in the book of Chronicles. So it depends on who you're including as the number. But say roughly 70, 75 people. This is mostly sons, only two daughters among them. They obviously had many other daughters, and it says before, granddaughters. So it is estimated that there may have been, there's, there's a, if we say that there's one woman for every man that, that's listed, that's going to bring us up to 150. And then if you talk about other granddaughters and all the people estimate there may have, might have been 300 people coming in. In, 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 so a number around that. There may have been others. Remember when they had slaughtered Shechem, they took the women and the children. We don't know if they've re- released them from slavery or for the coming and, and coming back in as slaves. We just don't know anything about that yet. So there could have even been more. It might have even been 500 if you included their slaves. But maybe 300 or so among the Hebrews are coming in. So it's, it's not a tiny little group, but it's, it's, not, it's not a nation. He says he's going to make a nation out of them. And so now let's go on and read on in verse, in verse uh, 28 of Genesis chapter, chapter 46. Now he sent to Judah before him, now he, he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Joseph prepared his chariot and he went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and he wept 
on his neck a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I've seen your face that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and he will say to him, My brother and my father's And I will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of the livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers that you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. Very interesting passage. So as it says in verse 28, as the children of Israel, the children of, 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 of Jacob, which is also named Israel, come to the land of Goshen, they don't know exactly where in this territory they are supposed to settle. So they don't just take it upon themselves to pick the... No, they want to go to where they they have been designated. Remember in the previous chapter uh, uh, that that uh, um, Joseph had made request of Pharaoh and Pharaoh said, sure, settle them in the land of Goshen, which was a very rich land where these rivers fan out. And this land of Goshen is all the way to the east side of Egypt. It was separated and he's keeping them there, separated. And he, he, they go into Goshen, but they don't know exactly where to settle. And he says he, he sends Judah before him to go get Joseph to say, where exactly should we settle? And so that's, that's, that's what they're doing. Where, where exactly should we settle? And for those of you who, who are like my age, you will remember this. Before there was GPS, you very often had to, had to get more directions to get to a place. You didn't just say, oh, I live in such and such a city, come and visit me. You had to get directions. And if you lived in the suburbs, you know, you had to make a right and a left and go. It's very, very confusing without a GPS. You say, well, why didn't you just get a map? Sometimes it was hard to get maps of of particular towns. You could get a map of, of the highways, but of all the, there was no internet to go to just to get a map. And so you'd end up pulling into gas stations, saying, and they all, gas stations always had a big map on the wall, and you could search for the name of the little street you want to go to, and it'll say, go to G4, and you'd look in this section, G4, for the little words. And, and uh, I was younger in those days, so I had no trouble seeing those little words, but I can only imagine if you were older trying to read those maps. And very often you would go into towns, you'd say, you'd call them, you'd go to a gas station, hey, hey, I just got off the highway at this. They'd say, okay, I'll be right there. And they would drive to the gas station where you were at, just off the highway, and you'd follow them to your, their home. That was very common in those days, where they would come out to meet you. And then going back to the highway, you would follow them, and then you, you'd get out of the car, you'd say goodbye and everything, and they'd lead you, they, because they'd lead you to the highway. That was very normal. So they, they, there were no cell phones where you could just call out ahead. Where exactly do you want us? So he sends Judah. Judah is now the prominent one. He's risen to prominence now. Uh, even though he was the fourth son, Reuben had lost his birthright uh, and, and because of what he had done with Bilhah, how he slept with his father's handmaid, his, his, his father's, uh, um, which was actually his father's wife he slept with. Uh, it was it was uh, Rachel's handmaid, and so you, you see that that he sent out and Joseph prepares his chariot, the same chariot that that uh, Pharaoh had given him. He prepares his chariot and he goes on down to meet his father. 
as he goes to his father, he falls on his father's neck and he weeps. His father does not bow down to him, even though he is so high in Egypt. His father was, in a sense, bowed down to him when the brothers bowed down, but his father is a man of dignity, does not bow down to his son, and the two weep together. Then they embrace and weep together, and the father says, let me now let me die since I have seen your face. Well, he's going to live another 17 years. He's 130 at this age. He's going to die at 147. But this is not saying I want to die. He's like, he's just so overwhelmed. He says, I can, I can just die now. That I've seen your face. I've seen you're alive. <laughs> I'm set to go. He was so happy. This is, this is an expression of happiness. Uh, um, and then it says in, in, chapter, in, in verse 31 of chapter 46 of Genesis, Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And he says, I'm going to tell them your shepherd. You keep the livestock and you brought all the livestock with you. I want him to not want you in tennis. I want him to not, because remember what Pharaoh did. He said to, to Joseph, he says, I want you taking care of my house. Joseph's house was adjoined to Pharaoh's house. Remember, because when Joseph wept, Pharaoh's servants heard him weeping. Their houses were adjoined and Joseph, he, he didn't want his family there. He wanted them separate because he didn't want the influences of Egypt. They were beginning to intermarry in the land of Canaan. He did not want them to intermarry in Egypt. He had to keep them separate. And the Hebrews kept as a separate people. They lived separately in the land of Goshen. That was their territory. And he, he's, this was his, you know, I don't want to say scheme because it sounds bad, but it, this was his idea. This was his strategy to keep them separate. And he used the, 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 uh, the racism of the Egyptians to keep them separate. And he says that, that uh, um, in, in the end of verse 34, because, the, because every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. He says, I want you to tell me you brought all your livestock with you. You have been shepherds, not just since your youth. Your fathers were shepherds and their fathers were shepherds. They were all shepherds. I want them to say, good, let them stay in Goshen. We don't want them coming in here with all their animals and... That's the last thing we need in tennis for these people moving in here. Keep them separate. He wanted this. He used this. You say, well, didn't they mind being treated like this? Didn't they mind? They used this to their advantage. They used this hardship of being a separate people to their advantage. They weren't going to the, 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 you know, all the plays and all the, the cultural things that are happening in Egypt. They were separate. They were a distinct people and they remained a, a distinct people in Egypt. There was a dramatic separation. But there was this, this, this hardship coming upon them from day one. But they used this to their advantage. They were remaining as a separate people. There are hardships that come upon us and we can go, you know, bemoaning this all day or we can use it to our advantage. There are people that, that are not particularly excited about my being so vocal about Jesus, my colleagues. And in some ways, I use it to my advantage. And God blesses me with this. He blesses me in this but because I'm going to stand with Jesus. I want you to turn to a portion in, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians. Turn to a portion in 1 Corinthians. We're going to turn to, uh, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
We're going to start reading from verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Paul is going to relate to us some weaknesses in his life, some of the insults that he had to bear, and how he used that to his advantage. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. In that one sentence, he says twice, this, was, this is given to me to keep me from exalting myself. In other words, if I did not have this on my life, I would end up being prideful. What is happening to me is good. Paul was taken up. He was given great revelations. It would have been very easy to Paul, for Paul to be proud in this. And Paul said, to keep me from exalting myself, God allowed Satan to send something to me, a thorn in the flesh, to torment me. This is not just a one-time thing. This is a constant. We don't know exactly. It was in his flesh. Some people say it was he had eye trouble. We don't know exactly what it was. And they say he had eye trouble because in one case he says, I know you would have plucked out your very eyes and given to me them to me if you could have. We don't know if that's just an expression or if that had something to do with his eyes. And again, Paul says, I'm writing this with my own hand. You can see the letters, the large letters, the letters in which I am writing to you. In a sense, making it that, that maybe he, he, was, he, he had myopia. We're not sure. But in any case... Verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. So he prayed to God three times. Lord, take this from me. And then he says, and he said to me, this was the answer of Jesus. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. So he prays to God for God to relieve him of this torment that Satan is buffeting him with. And God you, you know, we pray. God doesn't always say yes. Sometimes he says no. And here he said no. But the way he said it is, all he said was this one line, quote, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness, unquote. Jesus is a man of few words. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Power is perfected in weakness, period. That's it. What I've given you, Paul, is sufficient. What you have in me is sufficient. And your and power, my power is perfected in your weakness. That's what he told Paul. So the way Paul interprets this is this. He says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul uses this trial, whatever this trial is, to, to buffet him. To, to, it's, he, the way he describes it is torment. This torments me. Whatever Paul had to deal with is torment. And he says it was sent to keep me from becoming proud. Did you know that there are things in my life to keep me from becoming proud? There are. And there are things in each of our lives. You know, I, th there are some people who are really content in the way they look. The vast majority of people are not content in the way they look. If we looked the way that we would really like looking, I mean, I would probably, you know, just fall into great pride. I mean, God has given me quite sufficient blessings and quite sufficient gifts. 
I don't need to have great looks. I don't need to be the life of all the parties. I don't need to have all these other things. He's given me everything I need. He's given me with quite good sufficiency. And the more we use the gifts that He's given us, the more He piles them on us. The Scriptures tell us this. The more that that we use them, the man who was given the ten talents, he was given ten talents more as he used them. The man that was given just the the one talent, he buried it in the ground, and even what he had was taken away. As we use the talents God gives us, he gives us more within the frameworks of those talents. So he says, my power is perfected in weakness. And so Paul interprets this. He says, most gladly. He says, I'm glad for this. I'm glad I have this weakness. I am glad for this. Most gladly, therefore. Not just gladly, but most gladly. Therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I am boasting in my weakness because the power of Christ dwells in me. As I understand... So Joseph was well content in being called a shepherd. He didn't have to say, oh, well, you know, we, we actually came from a very wealthy family there in Canaan. You know, we, we're really the aristocracy. No, he wanted to live separately. So he used that to his advantage and he lived separately. Paul says, I gladly boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. He says, therefore, I am well content. So he says, not just that I am content, I am well content. I am very happy. Content can be meant, okay, I'm all right. I'm good. I'm good. No, he says, I am well content. I'm really, really good with this. I am well content with weakness. I am okay with this weakness that I have. With insults. I'm okay when people insult me, he says. With distresses. With persecutions. With difficulties. I'm okay with all the difficulties that come in. He's not sitting there, oh, woe is me, sitting there rocking back and forth, sucking his thumb in the corner. He's not doing this. He's saying, I'm, I'm okay with persecutions, with difficulties. Life throws difficulties. He says, I'm okay. For Christ's sake, I do this for the sake of Jesus. For Christ's sake. I look at this for Christ's sake. Jesus has put this upon me to keep me in this humble state. And I'm okay with it. For Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak in myself, His power comes out here. For I am, for when I am weak, then I am strong. This is what He says. This is what He tells us. That, 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 uh, um, uh, that He's okay with this. Joseph understood, I'm okay with being an outcast from the Egyptian society. I'm okay even though I sit in this palace that adjoins Pharaoh. Let people know. Let people know I'm not aristocracy. I come from a whole group of, of, uh, uh, of shepherds who, you, who are loathsome to you. And I'm going to use this to my advantage. It's going to keep us as a separate people. We're not going to be going to your symphonies and your plays and all the things that you guys... We're going to live as a separate people. We're not going to be intermarrying and mixing. We're going to be a separate people. And I'm okay with this. I'm okay with people saying, you know, this guy talks a lot about Jesus. I'm okay with having that separateness. I'm okay with them not talking about their worldly things and, and, and all the things that they do in their night life around me. I'm okay with that. I'm fine with them refraining from, from that kind of talk around me. I'm fine from them not saying their dirty jokes around me. I'm okay with that. I'm well content. For Jesus' sake, I'm well content. He says, I'm well content with insults, with difficulties, with persecution, with with distresses. I'm okay with all of this. In fact, I most gladly bear this and I'm well content. 
let this whole thing of the difficulties in your life, whatever it is, shift and to say, okay, God is allowing this to keep me in the place where you are to learn that His grace is sufficient for you. The grace of Jesus is sufficient for us. If you do not know the Lord this day, you can't get hold of this. You've got to first know Jesus. I invite you to contact me. Send me an email, tour at rice.edu, and I will meet with you one-on-one by Zoom. We will have a conversation, and you will get saved that very day. I see this happen every week, every week to people. So I give you that invitation. Don't stay unsaved. Learn how to take this thing and, and uh, uh, get, get life and strength from this. Get a relationship of, with God through this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. And I pray, Lord, for those here who are going through things in their lives, going through things because of this COVID time, going through things because of sickness, because of family troubles, because of a a wandering child or, or, or something like that. Father, I pray that you would cause us to be well content because your strength is manifest. Lord, I thank you for your mercies that we would learn to cry out to you in prayer. And Lord, I pray that you would give them, you'd cause them to be well content, even with insults, that they would bear that for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of Jesus, that they would bear that. And Father, for the ones here who do not know you, Father, I pray that even this very day they would reach out, this very day that they would reach out, or if they're going to be listening to this on a recording, that even then they would reach out, send me an email and let me know so that I could share the life of Christ with them, so that they would be saved. Father, that all people would know this goodness, the goodness of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord God, for all your mercies. In the name of Jesus, amen.